And so I challenge people, look, if you have questions, if you're in a certain position and you don't know any black people in your circles, whether it's friends, family or whatever, come talk to me. Come yeah. talk to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to the person off the street. You know, it could be a complete stranger. Like I'm a complete stranger. Talk to somebody right. off the street. Get a yeah. perspective. You don't have to be awkward about it. Just look. I just want to understand your experience. Now, tell me about right. your experiences here in Utah. Are they good? Are they bad? Right. What have you heard? How do you and how do your white friends talk to you? And how do you feel? And so forth. Just get a perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Wake Up Stories. My name is Laura. Hey, y'all. I'm Andrea. We are so honored to have you join with us today. We are excited for our new guest. We've never had a guest on the show like this before. We're going to hear some perspective on where he's come from, what got him to where he is with his advocacy and what he's doing moving forward to make a difference in his community. And that's what it's all about. One person can make the most amazing ripple effect. So with us, we have David Perry. Hey, David. Hello, how are you? Awesome. Thank you for joining us. David has his degree in accounting, his MBA. He works for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and financing, but also has a blog called The Black Angle. And we are so thrilled to hear David's story of how he came to being in this blog, to hear his advocacy, and then hear some of the stories that he gets. Because normally we're the ones who get stories, but you know what? David gets stories too, because he's writing about them. So without further ado, David, tell us your story. Hey, thanks. First, let me thank you for this opportunity of just to come on to your podcast and just talk about myself and my experiences. Let me just start off by saying I'm just a normal black man living in Utah with, with an amazing opportunity and stories that I have coming to my blog. I'll start off by saying first, I'm, I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a Philly boy. Actually, was when I was growing up, I actually lived early in my life in the suburbs of New Jersey. With mom and dad, my parents, stone-hearted, good people. Typical, I, I'm 45 years old, so back in the 70s and 80s, my uh, parents were strict, all for trying to go to education, be respectful and all that, and didn't let anything slide. And so... Growing up in New Jersey, had a lot of mixed friends, black and white and so forth. So my interactions were normal, just being an average kid doing his own thing. Then uh, my parents got divorced. And so my mom ended up taking me and my younger brother, and we ended up living in Philly. We didn't have a lot of money, actually no money at all. I was nine at the time, and we ended up staying in my grandma's house in North Philadelphia, West Oak Lane. So it was my grandma, my uncle, my aunt, her daughter me and my brother and my mom, eight of us in a town home, row home up in Philadelphia. So if you're familiar with row homes and, and Philly culture, it's a small place, right? Um, three levels. I was sharing a room with my brother in a little closet room, literally like a <laughs> size of a closet and we had bunk beds and it was tight. <laughs> and so going from New Jersey to Philly, shell shocked. And so my experience in Philly I don't know if uh, anyone could be prepared for it. So back then it was, we were poor. We didn't have a lot of money at all. So I couldn't get like clothes as much as uh, other kids that had. We had starter jackets back in the day. I couldn't get those. It was rough, to say the least. And then, and it was eye-opening because ran into crime, ran into racism. There was things that were going on that was just, I never saw as a kid and even realized that I would experience 
being a teenager growing up in Philly. And so experienced stuff in school as far as just problems with being poor and just the economics that were going on there, just being broken, things like that. So it was, it was interesting growing up in Philly. And so growing up, I graduated, went to Westchester University outside of Philly, 30 minutes outside, almost got my degree in biology, ended up doing an internship and something happened where I didn't sit well. I didn't like the industry at that point doing the internship and I left. And so ended up working for AT&T um, for five, six years as a project manager, got married, had two kids, my first wife, then AT&T got bought out. <laughs> And I'd had come to a crossroads. And at that point, I was, me and my first wife ended up getting a divorce at that same time. So I was going through a point in my life, trying to make a decision. My mom had two or three years prior to this point, had moved out to Utah. And so her and my youngest brother, who was 18 younger than me, tried to coax me out to coming out and bringing my two sons. And so thought about it for a long time, for about four months, and made a decision just to pull the trigger. So came out here with my two sons, and wow, I can't tell you, culture shock is just an understatement. <laughs> I bet that's a <laughs> huge understatement. <laughs> it, it is. We go from Philly that's being 60% minority, all my friends, Black, Latino, I think I have maybe one or two white friends. Working for AT&T, they were all co-workers, and so majority was white, but actually majority, I wouldn't even say that, it was half white, half Black. Even that was just, it was a diverse culture in that, in my employment. And so from that perspective, coming to Utah, where you have 1.5, 2% black, all the coworkers out here, my new job, all white. And I came out here with a job offer. I ended up going from one company, working for Utah Interactive, was working for the state of uh, Utah's website, then getting a job with the LDS church. Okay. Both experiences, again, just completely, <laughs> I was the minority, essentially. And so shocked. I still got, I got along well with my coworkers, but it was hard. It was hard trying to adjust. That's to say, I, all, I couldn't make friends. The different personalities mm-hmm. and behaviors out here were totally different from what I was experienced out in the East Coast. And so there was a lot of people that were tunnel vision and they were, had their own cliques here. That yeah. exists, especially out near Utah County. So my mom lived out in American Fork. And so I ended up staying with her for my first year, then getting in my own place, and then actually getting remarried. But at that point, Utah County, I found out was just like super conservative. And everyone had their own cliques and they didn't, they were generally kind as far as like just saying hi and just, just casualness, just, right. just being there, not treating you in a bad manner, but not in a way that they wanted to actually get to know you. And so that was my experience. It was hard because no one really wanted to get to know me. I don't know whether it was just because I was black or whether it was just because I was an outsider. I didn't make friends. Essentially, all my friends were still out east. I kept in correspondence with them via online playing video games and just talking with them online through Facebook Messenger. So we have a Facebook group for me and my friends. And to this day, I still have that. (laughs) 17 years later, we are in the same boat. (laughs) <laughs> and just my same core group of friends out in the east and so it was a hard adjustment like I mentioned before I got remarried a year after I came back out or came out to Utah and to my wife who's Korean um, she's Korean and she but she's actually Utah she's more American than anything she was adopted by a Utah family when she was six months old and so oh, okay 
she doesn't have the Korean culture that was culture. In her, but uh, she tries to get back and, and, and tries to educate herself in that regards. And that's a different topic for another day. I'm like, I'm like that's another <laughs> podcast episode right there. Yeah. <laughs> that and it's, we have had a lot of good conversations, an interesting conversation between her and myself and her family and things that were, that were brought up and, and things that were missing in her life. And anyway, we'll talk about that in another time, but got married. She had a child with her who right now is 24. I ended up adopting him and we have five kids together. So currently we have six kids in our household. And so it's interesting, my the child that I adopted, my son, he's mixed black and Korean. And then okay. so my kids also are obviously black and Korean. And so having them all under the house and, and now living in South Jordan. So Salt Lake County is a little bit more, it's, it's not as conservative as Utah County. It's actually a lot less conservative right now where I'm in a daybreak um, specifically. And it's been really it's been better. Let me just say that as far as my expectations, I'm not going to say yeah. it's ideal and utopian, but there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made and wanted to try to get some sort of, I don't want to say education, but I want more influences as far as minority influences and black influences in my kids' lives. And so it was hard trying to find that here, just in Utah in general. Right. And so this actually leads up into what happened last year and why I created my blog. Last year, uh, we're all familiar with what happened last year with the pandemic and with um, just a racial awakening with all right. the incidents that happened. Now, did you want me to go further into that? No, or? let's jump into that. Let's jump into what has, now that we've gotten to know you. Oh, I did have one quick question. When you said you yeah. came to Utah, like approximately what year was that? What time frame are we thinking? Oh, that was 2004. 2004. Okay. Yeah. So then, so you've been in Utah for... Little about 15 years or so. Yes. Well, almost 20 now. Almost yep. 20. And okay, so now you're remarried and you have five kids. So two that are black and three that are black and Korean. No, yes. All right. So we, uh, so I have eight kids. So two of my, the two kids oh. that I came out here, they were actually, they're staying with my ex. So they were, they're living okay. with my ex. And we, ha I okay. have six under my household now. So the one okay. that's adopted by my wife that I adopted from her and um, yeah. five that we had together. Okay, so all the ones in your house here are black and Korean, and then you have two that are older that are black in another state who stayed with their that's, mom. That's correct. Okay, okay, got it. Because I have a very blended family too, so it's it always okay. brings in a unique dynamic, right? Like our audience mm -hmm. will know. Like I have my oldest is eighteen, but technically he's my nephew, and then my first my son for my first marriage is black. So we, the older two are black, but then the last three boys are mixed because my husband now is white. Yeah. And so it's like this whole. It's a different as, dynamic. It's, it's so a, I understand yeah. just having yeah. it's a different conversation <laughs> too. It's weird because it's a different conversation with my two black kids versus yes. with my mixed kids. Because then I got to not just worry about just the black aspect of it, but also the right. Asian aspect, especially with the pandemic now. And so many, there's so many visceral conversations happening because of people are being so angry and so upset right. towards Asians with the pandemic. Not they're being physically that. attacked. Yeah, right. they're being physically attacked for no reason. And I'm like, I, Laura, I think we need to make a note, like come back again to talk about like the whole Asian, <laughs> the pandemic. Well, Stacy's been talking about it that we had on and we might, yeah. we already recorded that one and that one might not come out until later, but she's been very vocal about it and um, right. brought that to light for me. And it, yeah, oh. it's been yeah. very interesting. 
And it's weird because I see all these conversations that are happening and all the news stories, especially about the violence and people get knocked out in San Francisco and things like that. It's just, then I have to tell my kids, all right, you have to be careful. I mean, when you're having conversations with people, letting them know that you are mixing the drink, they're going to start, some may start looking at you in a negative aspect like that and start targeting you with everybody else happening too. So it's, yeah, it's almost exactly what happened with the Arabs during the war, right? Like after mm -hmm. 9-11. Yeah. Which is just insane but yes i'm like i think we need to make a note to come back and <laughs> just I, discuss I have that. stories for days <laughs> yeah so, discuss and, that. and i have a question just because we're talking about this and never seeing your kids and then being mixed race when people see them for the first time what do they typically get categorized on a primary interaction with people yeah what do no, people think the, what their hair my kids is? are so my kids they sort of look Pacific Islander. So what yeah. a lot of their friends think they either Tongan or they're oh, from yeah. Hawaii. Oh, <laughs> they have, yep. Because the Asian influence is so heavy, but they have a little bit more color in their skin. Absolutely. Yeah. So they got color, oh. they got curly hair, curly black hair, right. skin is like my complexion and the other right. you know, it's just they look that specific yeah. type. <laughs> so that's funny that's because like my three mixed kids look Latino. They are so fair and they didn't get my curl. And so their hair is straight. And depending on the day, like one might have a little curl like in the front, Mm -hmm. but it's their hair is straight. And the baby who's three, he's blonde hair. He's blonde hair and they are very fair. And I've had to learn all about sun blocking. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you had to reapply after a few hours. I'm like, put it on one time, you're good, right? No, apparently they need some more. (laughs) Anyway, but I get it. So when people see my kids, they don't assume they're black or white. They assume they are of Hispanic descent. Yeah. It's so interesting. interesting. I didn't know that, Andrea. Yeah. (laughs) That's very interesting. But it's yeah. interesting too, because my kids, I have to teach them all about these cultures you that they people assume it. So yes. it's, it's weird that we, I don't want to get insulted. Oh, you didn't know I was black or Korean or whatever. Right. But it's just, oh, all right. So you think I'm this, but let me understand what this culture is, you know, all about. Well, right. What, what they should be. And so it allowed me opportunities to teach my kids about them and about Latinos. Also, they get confused. Some people think that they're Hispanic also. And it's just um, because we do have a heavier Hispanic population in Utah. Yeah, yes, black right. is one to two percent, yep. but Latinos in the statewide make up 20 percent of the population yep. uh, in Utah. And then in certain cities, it's even heavier, like up here in Ogden, where I live, it's 33, per, 32 to 33 percent is Hispanic. And isn't so, there also a decent population of Polynesians in Utah? Yes. So I can in see Salt Lake. Yep. in Absolutely. Salt Lake. Cause I was going to say if, if yeah, I could see how then they would think also that they would be Pacific Islanders. Island. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah. My wife's side. So she was adopted by a white family, but they actually ended up adopting another Pacific Islander kid. And so they, uh, so we have it all in our family, but that's the, he, that's, it's weird that, that they, my kids, they love them. <laughs> they, right. they relate more to them than anybody else in the family. And so it's, it's yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I, yeah. I love it. Okay. So let's right, go, so we're gonna, let's go yeah. forward here. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, we'll have another episode on this with the mixed kids and, and perceptions, yeah. but yeah. So tell us exactly the work that you have been doing now with your blog, the black angle, just shed a little bit more light about light on that. All right, so I created this blog based based off of what happened last year in 2020. 2020 was the 
just a year that no one's going to forget with the pandemic and with oh, the, for the, sure. the racial awakening and what's happening just to several individuals that were videoed and, and just went viral online. And so between all the, just the, uh, just the emotions that's gone into just what's happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and, and just yeah. all those that are just unnecessary and just all the marches and protests that have gone on. I wanted to do something. I I ended up participating in a bunch of marches here in Salt Lake and Utah County and so forth. And some with my kids, some without my kids, not knowing what was going to happen as far as violence and stuff right. like that. But just seeing all the people get together and, and just majority white, just it's, it is what it is here. But it was good. It was positive to see just as many people out here appalled of what happened and fighting for change. And right. I wanted to try to do something after the fact of all the protests, because I know once the protests died down, I was worried that know what's going to happen to the subject we've been doing this. absolutely and i say we i just say black people in general people of color racial yep. inequality for decades years that, yeah before i was even a thought and just what's happened afterwards very little change and so what i wanted to do is just try to do my part to, to continue the awakening I didn't want people just to sit around and just be, just make it seem like a some sort of 30 second news story. And all of a sudden right. it just goes, they go on with their lives and that's it. And so what I wanted to do is just create a forum where I can educate people by sharing my own experiences and my own thoughts and opinions, create a forum, also a platform where black people in Utah can find other businesses and other people of color with similar experiences to understand, you know, what's happening here. And at the same time, educate white readers of, what's happening in our own back or in their own backyards. It's a lot with the blog. <laughs> I try to get that all encapsulated, but I thought I could do it. And so I created the blog to, to centralize just what I wanted to do. And one of the wanted to do is just help other people and inform them what's happening in Utah specifically. I didn't want to make it too general. I wanted to make it specific to Utah because I think I felt like just trying to share experiences, black and brown experiences that are happening here in the backyard will help. Yeah educate and inform white readers Absolutely. that it's happening here. It's not a news story. It's not what and world right. news or local or just any, you know, social media, what's passing along as jokes or yeah. just saying, oh, it's a one time, one thing somewhere else. No, it's happening here in our backyards. So, so David, will you, will, will you share one of those stories that has happened in the black, in our backyard, like specifically, because I know all over, the country and even in the world a lot of white people tend to i not wanted to talk have these uncomfortable conversations they don't want to talk about race i feel like right now race is so taboo talking about race and people of color or inequality is so taboo like sex and they just don't want to talk about it and they just think as long as i love everybody and teach my kids to love and to not see color, and I put air quotes on that for those of you right. who are listening, <laughs> as long as I, I, then we're fine and that's all we need to do. But I love how you said that you want to do your part to create an awakening, to show what's really happening in Utah. So it's very specific to the demographic while also educating the white audience. Will you share one of those stories for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote about one experience. I met one person on, on social media just sharing my blog and just wanting to talk about people's experiences and stories. And so one person approached me, who's a friend of mine now, about an experience she had with one of her sons. So she's a white woman and she adopted three black kids 
one of our kids was just one day just hanging out with a bunch of friends. And so during this during this time, I guess something happened where these three white friends ended up pinning the black kid down and saying, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to George Floyd you. And it's, yeah, just hearing that is just, well, makes me just totally upset. <laughs> just not that's even, an uh, understatement. I, that's an understatement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't <laughs> even put it in the words. And so the kid, um, the black kid, ended up telling his mom, being upset, ran back and tell, told his mom. His mom, obviously upset and distraught, ended up uh, approaching the three parents of the three kids. Hold right. on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I've worked really hard not to interrupt, but I need like a visual context. Did these three kids physically hold him down and say we were going to George Floyd you or they just told him we're going to George Floyd? You? No, they physically held him down and said they were going to George Floyd him. And oh my I gosh. forgot to, to mention also that Black Lives Matters was racist itself. And, oh and can I ask a question real quick? Was there anything leading up to this? What what suddenly made these boys want to do this? Is there any type of an, like an argument or negative environment going on here? Or what brought yeah, she, this on all of a sudden? She did not tell me that there was anything leading up to this. So I don't think it was anything expected, especially if they're just hanging out as friends. Right. You and right. absolutely not to rationalize it, but I just wanted to have an understanding of what would make these boys do this. Yeah. So the, nothing was told to me that would lead up to that experience okay. in itself. So that happened. And Again, just the woman came back and tried to confront the three parents of the three kids that were involved. And so, so one of the, the mother, the mother of the black boy is now confronting yes. the parents of the three kids who held him down and said that we were going to George Floyd you and that BLM is racist. That's correct. Okay. And, and so the woman actually, my friend, approached one of the parents, one of the parents of the kids were very remorseful. They understood the gravity of what was said. And they apologized and, and, and told their kid not to do it. The second family, as she approached, didn't want to talk to her whatsoever. And then the third family, was the reaction of that made it even a little bit more egregious, where the mother, I guess she approached the mother of the one kid, and she ended up defending the kid to say that there was nothing wrong. And that oh the my kid, gosh. And that that child, the black child, was lucky to have the white child as a friend at all oh and my so, gosh okay wait a minute we need to recap this i know this is crazy <laughs> okay so the mother of the black child approaches the other three parents of the kids who held down this kid and said that we were going to george floyd you and one parent of the three was remorseful i'm so sorry they felt awful the kid apologized learned his lesson kind of thing mm -hmm. the second parent completely avoided didn't want to talk about it at all. Like, we're not talking about this. And the third parent said that there's nothing wrong with what happened and that this little black boy should be lucky to be friends with these white kids. That's correct. Who just assaulted him and threatened his life because that's really what they did. That's correct. Wow. And, it, and yeah, it's, and to me, that's a step back moment where right. first I thought to myself, look, when the George Floyd incident happened, that was egregious altogether. Just watching the video. You have to sit and right. watch the video. Yes, and say in to real yourself, time. In real time. And, yes. and say to yourself, where are we at as a society? If you don't have that conversation with your own family, everyone has seen this. This is on social media. This, this video is everywhere. It was viral. Right. You should have, you, and then I say you, <clears throat> as a parent, 
whether you're black right. or white, need to have a conversation with your kid yes. about what's happened mm-hmm. or about your, yes. with your family. And so that was missing. If you didn't understand the gravity of just what, <laughs> of who George Floyd was and what happened, and if you don't believe that, just that comment saying I'm going to George Floyd you is not something that's appalling, right. that conversation was never had. The importance of what the, the gravity of that situation was never explained, right. never understood. You're yeah. saying so, to these kids that did this. To the kids. That to the kids, yep. These, these boys are obviously acting in this way because they were not told and it was not explained to them the gravity of that situation. Yes, that's how, that's I, that's how I took it. Yep. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. If we relate it back to sex, I personally know someone who didn't get the best information about sex and what it really is and how to prevent a pregnancy. And she was told if you just pee after we have sex by her boyfriend, then you won't get pregnant. And then she ended up pregnant because she was like, well, I peed after we had sex. Guess what? That's why you have to be willing to have these conversations so you can understand what's happening. And it's the same thing with race. We have to be willing as parents, as human beings to sit down and teach our kids what racism is what hate is. Just like you sit and teach your kids how to love everybody and how to not see color. Why don't you teach them what also is wrong? So one, they can learn to be better human beings than stand up, speak up, recognize it for what it is. And I think I would agree with you that those kids probably didn't understand the gravity of it, but on some level they also did because they physically held him down. George Floyd was held down. So at some point they've seen some, they may not have seen it in real time and sat with their parents and been taught, but at some point they had to have been shown the video, seen it on the news. Maybe a friend brought it up at YouTube. They knew what it was. They knew this man had died. So they are threatening the life of this little black boy by holding him down. And for them, it might be fun and games. I put air quotes on that too, audience. It might be fun and games. Or maybe they're just bullying. I don't know. I don't know these kids. It could be, and you know how boys are. Sometimes boys just take things a little too far unintentionally and, and hurt, e- hurt each other. That could have been it too. It could have been that they're so ignorant. They didn't realize the gravity of it, but they still knew on some conceptual level what it was. Laura, you're bobbing your head and I'm dying to know what's spinning in your think, wheels. I think the word ignorant there is very appropriate. I think you, we talk about this in other times where things happen. And what I've learned through these conversation is that black parents talk about race so much more than white parents. And there is a lot of this, like, it's a them problem and not an us problem. And there's not that ownership. And I think just hearing these stories, I hopefully helps white parents realize that these are the conversations you need to be having in your house. But then they're also, well, I could see, and so so with the three families, I could see that maybe some of the families were ignorant, but I feel like that last family who says there's nothing wrong with this. He should be lucky to have this little white boy as a friend. I'm going to bet it was probably the same kid who said BLM is racist. You can tell they had been talking about it in their home, just not in a positive way. No child learns that an organization is quote unquote racist out of nowhere. That comes from in the home. And that's a problem that I have. And 
and this is why I try to advocate for better conversations at home. Last year was unique because, and maybe it wasn't unique, but with the political environment, with the election, where it was right. just propagated, where BLM was politicized. And right. so you have these discussions at home where they're saying Black Lives Matter is just, it, it, it's not promoting racial, racial equality. It's just racially, it's basically a democratic platform. You know, right. just, just basically that's all it is. And so it's injecting politics, the political discussion in with the actual problem of racial inequality, I think has been injected at that home. And so that's, it's where it just, I didn't say maybe it's a lack of conversation, but a better conversation. I think the parents right. need to be educated to understand that you have to divide that racial inequality problem with yes. the politics. Yes, I don't, I don't understand why recently you can't talk about racial inequality without it somehow becoming political. I'm like, mm-hmm. hello, these are different topics. Okay, <laughs> this was, this was going to be a conversation that I wanted to have after the show. Because um, usually before we have a podcast, we have a, a little debriefing where we say we're not going to oh, talk about right. politics. Right. We, we did not do that here. But I don't want to go back <laughs> and I don't want to erase this because this hits on another subject that, Andrea, I don't know if you got this message from a mutual friend of ours this week where there was a a post or a video that she sent and a lot of responses on there. She's, you need to go and look at these responses because they're sickening. And so I went and I looked at him and it was exactly this. It was saying, so it was just like uh, a good video. I actually didn't watch the video. So I want to admit that, but I, I understood that this was to promote equality and the comments on there were exactly this. Why are we having the discussion to promote this leftist agenda was a lot of it. And I was like, this is where we have a disconnect. This is why we do this podcast. This right here, because this is not a political agenda. If you are a human being, you should care about this. It doesn't matter who you voted for or who I voted for. It should matter to you that there are your brothers and sisters here on this earth that are having completely different experiences from you, even if you're socioeconomically the same, just based on what they look like. That should trump all of this. You're right. It's the lack of consideration that was missing in the discussion. People don't understand that racial inequality has been, this problem has existed forever in America. For 200 years. (laughs) I mean, since since America was even born. (laughs) You know, so. Yes. (laughs) And that's, if they just do the history, if they do the, just the research, understand the problem, know that it exists, they would, I would hope 95% of them would come to a reckoning that yes, it is a problem that extends way beyond the politics. And that just being, like you were saying, just being human, just having the consideration and the empathy of somebody who is an American with a different skin color going through problems that you would not normally go through yourself because of a different skin color. Yeah, I I agree with you, David. If we would just take time to look at the history for what it is, maybe as Americans, we can create empathy for one another. This country is lacking empathy with everything. It's lacking empathy with the pandemic. Somehow this global pandemic has become, like you mentioned earlier, a political agenda. Where's the compassion for people are dying from COVID. It may not be in your family. It may not be your aunt and uncle. People have lost their jobs from COVID. 
that may not be your reality, but that why can't we empathize with those who are hurting, right? As Americans, why can't we empathize with people of color in America because of what they go through, because of what their kids go through, what their parents have gone through? I think so many times what happens is people become defensive. When you see that there's right. a problem with that, a lot of times comes that finger pointing. And it's, and I have felt that among close people that I'm friends and even family with is just this, your first reaction is this defensiveness. Right. And, and it's hard not to have that. And I, yeah. I understand it and I get that, but ultimately your desire to understand and want to better the situation has to, you have to overcome this personal attack is what you're feeling, but that's really not what's happening. So for me, I just have to look beyond that and say, you know, it doesn't matter what they think of me. I still want to better understand what's going on because there's people who are hurting. And so I understand like sometimes that comes across as anger. And so my hope is that I just, exactly what you're saying. You just have to have more empathy and put yourself in their shoes and just try to have that better understanding so that, you know, instead of being defensive to that anger, then hopefully you can understand why are they feeling this anger? Because there's a justification for it. If you just look and a lot of times it's not about you. It's not. It's getting so out of hand. Obviously I'm more involved in local news and politics, but this isn't political, it turned political, but for example, I'm pretty sure you saw David that the school in Bountiful last week, yep. Laura, to catch you up, there's a school in Bountiful. I'm not sure if you saw, cause I did share the article, but it definitely yeah, hits I more think to Utah. I saw it. I saw, cause there's you posted this, it in our group. I did. Yeah. yeah. So there's this school. I, it was PM to me. That was like, look at what just happened. Like the day that it was released, our local Fox News did a reporting on it. So we have a school in Bountiful um, who was celebrating Black History Month by doing the ABCs of Black History. And this, I'm just gonna call it a school movement, I don't know, project bulletin board. The school bulletin board was approved by the school's PTO and the school's principal. So in the school, there are several like eight by 10 index cards that I don't have the article in front of me, but it's, let's just say A is for advocacy, B is for black history, C is for, I don't know, continuing to fight for human rights. So that's basically all it is. It's the ABCs of black history. And like E was for, I think equality, probably D was for diversity, something like that, David. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. So it's not, in my opinion, offensive or attacking any, it's awareness actually. So it's like an ABC awareness to equality. Again, approved by the school's PTO and approved by the school's principal. This elected official took it in her hands to take offense by the ABCs of Black history that the school had already approved, reached out to her constituents and said that this is racism, that we are uh, promoting a left agenda in the school and that we need to call Everybody call until the principal agrees to take down this bulletin board. And guess what happened? All these parents got behind her, this elected official, and called, called, and the principal reported and said, I do believe that most of the calls are from parents who don't even have kids at this school. That's what the principal said. Okay. I didn't realize this part of it. I just thought it was an elected official that just had it. But she got parents behind her. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. So this wasn't just out. one person. This was multiple now, people. Yeah. Yes. She reached out to her Dang. constituents who put her in office and she told them this is a left agenda and this is wrong and we need to call this school until they have it removed. And the principal was flooded with so many calls that they took down the bulletin board. And that's what's wrong. So you have people like that who clearly don't believe in equality, who have an influence in our children's education right here at home and who are impacting our kids' influence on diversity and equality and empathy. And so it was, my blood was boiling. Trust me, I plan to reach out to my representative and the head of our senior legislator and ask, how is this possible? Why is this legal? What can we do to put things in place so this doesn't happen? That's what I'm actually going to do to make a change, not just sit back and complain about it. But that brings it to the point of what you're saying, David, of why are we taking equality and it's somehow becoming politicized when really it's just awareness and inclusion and love. That's all that school did. Those PTO parents were trying to promote unity and they got overthrown by an elected official. No, absolutely. And that's a problem where I I try to, in my blogs, I try to tell people, look, if you want to understand from firsthand knowledge of just Black experiences, racial inequality, discrimination that's happened, I've had it happen to myself. Come talk to me. I'm not the person to, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to yell at you. (laughs) Yell at you. Right. like you would hear in protests and stuff like that. I'm going to sit with you in a calm, collected manner, explain to you my experiences, tell you what's happening around you, explain to you why your position may be wrong, and just inform you. And just being right. a little bit more educated as far as your Black experience. A lot of the people here in Utah don't have any Black friends. Obviously, we're just what? 1.5% one, 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 one of the uh, population. Yeah, very small. So what they're going to do is just they're going to, a lot of people, and I, I hate to, to stereotype and generalize, but a lot of people are going to get their information from social media their conservative news stations and so forth and just trying to formulate their own opinions on what racial inequality is, what Black Lives Matter is, what what problems are going on in the neighborhood. Everyone, it, it's getting politicized. Unfortunately, that's, that was one of the problems I thought was going to happen after the election. It's, it's just going to continue. The visceralness is just going to continue. And the politicization of racial inequality was just going just to be an excuse to avoid bringing about solutions. And so I challenge people, look, if you have questions, if you're in a certain position and you don't know any black people in your circles, whether it's friends, family or whatever, come talk to me. Come yeah. talk to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to the person off the street. You know, it could be a complete stranger. Like I'm a complete stranger. Talk to somebody right. off the street. Get a yeah. perspective. You don't have to be awkward about it. Just look, I just want to understand your experience. You know, tell me about right. your experiences here in Utah. Are they good? Are they bad? Right. What have you heard? How do you, and how do your white friends talk to you? And how do you feel? And so forth. Just get a perspective instead of just assuming that, look, this is what I, the information I'm getting from social media is right. You know, that what they're saying about BLM being democratic is right. Or just there's no discrimination anywhere. That's right. Because we live in a utopia soapbox and so forth. Talk to me. Come talk to just anyone of just black and brown skin color. Just ask them their experiences. Ask them, you know, what they think. Ask them what's happening in your backyard, on your streets. Get a perspective first before you start formulating your own judgments and before you start perpetuating conspiracy theories or perpetuating falsehoods about there's no racism here. You know, that, that's false. That's yeah. bad. You shouldn't do that. Okay. David, 
you are full of such wealth and knowledge that we are for sure going to go ahead and make part two. So guys, if you are listening right now, you can find David at theblackangle.com. That's his blog. You can find him in our Facebook group, The Wake Up Stories. We're going to release part two of this episode and continue this conversation. So we will see you guys later.